Welcome to the Northbrook NextGen Podcast. A podcast created to help the next generation and the parents and influencers who love them. And now on to today's show. Well, hey friends, welcome back to the Northbrook NextGen Podcast. Today I am so excited. We have a very special guest with us. Um, David Thomas, all the way uh, down in Nashville, Tennessee, is joining me. And right now, as we're recording this, it's it's like two degrees outside. Um, David, do I do I even want to know uh, what the temperature is in, in Nashville? You know, we're not hovering around two degrees. We're in the low 40s, so that could maybe feel like a beach vacation for you all right now. Definitely shorts and t-shirt weather for us, for sure. <laughs> Well, um, again, I'm so excited to have you. For those of you that are not familiar uh, with David Thomas, David, you've been at Daystar Counseling Ministries for over 20 years. Is that correct? I have. I'm actually in my 25th year as of now. Okay. Yeah. 25 years. He's the director of the Family Counseling Program at Daystar. And uh, David's the author of seven books, many of which I have read. My wife and I love to read David and we love parenting books. And I got to give my wife the credit. She discovered your books and said, you got to read this book. It's called Are My Kids on Track? And so I read it. And all honesty, it's the best parenting book that I've ever read. So parents, that, that is a great resource. And I think what I love about Are My Kids on Track, David, is I felt like I finally had a scoreboard of sorts to know how, how my kids were doing. You know, like as a parent, you're like, what are we doing? How are we winning? Are we losing? I don't know. They're kind of nice to people. I guess that's good. So, so yeah, I love, love that book. So thank you for writing that. And we're going to get into that book more in this podcast. You also have a podcast yourself. And so parents encourage you to go check that out. What's the name of that podcast? If parents want to check that out. Our podcast is Raising Boys and Girls. And if you were to even just jump on our website, raisingboysandgirls.com, it will lead you to not just the podcast and a breakdown of each season, but also our books, which you were so kind to say that. Thank you for your generous words about Are My Kids on Track and and really all our resources. We try to put a, a lot of free, what we hope is encouraging content out on social media. So if you were to go straight to our website, it will take you to all those places. Awesome. Yes, I've been listening to that podcast and um, it's been super helpful for me. I, I know many of you Northbrookers know my wife and I have three kids and so we are in the middle of the parenting season. So we, we need all the help we can get as our oldest daughter becomes a teenager this summer. But uh, David, so excited again, excited to have you. I know I'm really setting the bar high here on this podcast, but when I told our team, when they said, you know, we, we were going to try to find a speaker for a parent conference and they said, let's just dream big. Who would you want? My first name was if we could get David Thomas and Sissy Goff, that would be nuts. And um, so I was so excited that you're here today, but even more excited that you are coming to Northbrook. Uh, you'll be here in April, April 8th and 9th. And so parents listening, don't know when you'll be listening to this, but registration will go live February 19th at northbrookchurch.org for uh, our, we're calling it our Equip Parenting Conference. And again, that's April 8th and 9th. So even if you're listening to this for registration opens, encourage you to block that off on your calendar. It's just going to be a great two days uh, of equipping you as parents, even if you're a grandparent or aunt and uncle, I'm sure you could benefit as well. So again, April 8th and 9th, um, so excited to have David and Sissy Goff here in person. Can't wait for that. 
But David, let's dive in. So let's go back to Are My Kids on Track? I'd love just love for you to talk a little bit about why you wrote that and just kind of give us a little overview of that book. I'd love to. And, you know, I think you sharing the story you shared a few minutes ago set the stage beautifully for why the book felt important to me. And I want to say to you as a dad, I felt the same thing as a parent of three kids myself, just this sense of, you know, are we on track in these different places? And, you know, if you listening right now, if you were to think a minute about your firstborn, like think about your first encounter with a pediatrician, wherever that appointment happened. If you're an adoptive parent, you may have just traveled across the globe and then met with a pediatrician in their office with that child for the first time. If you delivered in the hospital, likely somebody from your pediatric practice came to the hospital. But wherever that first intersection with a pediatrician happened, what I know took place was that you began being asked questions. Like if it was in the hospital, the questions were probably centering around two categories, eating and pooping. Is food getting in? Is food going out? And the questions are going to continue with every pediatric well visit. Like, is she making eye contact? Is he crawling? Is she walking? Is he talking? These really important questions that allow us to track closely with our kids' physical development. But to what you and I are talking about, there really is not a context where we're tracking in the same way with their emotional and social development. And those being two of the most important threads of our kids' development, it's, you know, it's out of that place right now that they're operating as friends and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. It's out of those threads that they're going to be operating someday as husbands and wives and parents themselves. And so, developing emotionally and socially is of such importance. And as we know, if we think about the different adults we intersect with throughout our days, it's very possible that a person kept going chronologically, they kept developing physically, but they got stuck somewhere emotionally or socially. I know a lot of adults who got stuck somewhere maybe in pre or mid adolescence, you know, in, in terms of their emotional development and they're operating out of that place and that's damaging to relationships. And so it's just vital that we are all developing within those two threads, but to our conversation, it's complicated to track that. Like we don't necessarily know the right questions to ask and the milestones we want to be hitting. So that's a part of why the book felt so important and what we really wanted to do in starting was just define the milestones. So we define four emotional, four social, four spiritual milestones that we want to see kids moving toward throughout development. And then we go real specific, like what does it look like for them to develop these emotional, what we call muscles and social muscles. And we even go more specific than that in the book. In the podcast, we devote a whole episode to each milestone, but We can't go quite as deep as we can go in the book's content. In the book, we go even further and talk about what are the stumbling blocks unique to boys? What are the stumbling blocks unique to girls? And then what are the building blocks for each gender? And then every chapter ends with practical ideas. And that is something that is of great importance to us in everything we've written, every time we speak. In fact, for any of you listening, if you will just come and spend that time with us in April, we are committed to you walking out with practical, user-friendly strategies that you could implement the second you walk out. Like that's of great importance to us. So we make that commitment to you for that time. But that's a part of why this content felt so important and why we're so grateful every time we get an opportunity to travel anywhere around the globe and, and talk with parents, grandparents, and educators about what it looks like to move kids toward these important milestones. Yeah, that's so good. I know we don't have time to talk through everything. And obviously um, parents should come to the parent seminar. I'd love for you to talk 
to the four emotional milestones feels like 2022 um we talk about emotional iq like i mean or eq emotion we know it just seems like adults and students are struggling with managing their emotions and so yeah if you could just speak a little bit to that i'd love uh, have you share a little bit more about those four emotional milestones i'd love to and and you're right they are and i think if this pandemic has done anything and it's done many things i think it's put a spotlight on the very thing you just named and the reality that you know, if you were a person going into this pandemic who had limited resources in terms of coping strategies, you know, you discovered pretty quickly that this was going to be a long, hard road because we have never needed those things in place. I think for all the hard things that have happened in this pandemic, I will say I'm grateful that we have really put a spotlight on mental health. I wish it hadn't taken a global pandemic for us to be leaning in as far as we're leaning in, but I'm thankful and and honestly really hopeful that on the other side of this pandemic, we won't take the attention off that, that it will simply have been a reminder of we always needed to have these things in place and the pandemic brought that to the surface and let's not let there be another time in history where we're not being as intentional as we are for ourselves on behalf of the kids and adolescents we love. So that's part of why talking about the milestones does feel more important than ever. And the Starting point for us, the first emotional milestone is what we call vocabulary. And it's really just developing emotional literacy, you know, learning how to read and understand my own emotions and then learning how to do that in others. And we will talk a lot when we come to the class about how we help kids develop an expansive emotional vocabulary and how I would argue we're seeing less evidence of that happening than any other time in history. Interesting. Yeah, I'm seeing more kids and adolescents throughout these big declarations to describe their experience that I think is partly evidence that they don't have an expansive emotional vocabulary. One example would be when I was growing up, if if you felt really angry with your parents and you wanted to make sure they knew kids of my generation, and this is going to date me, you know, would say things like, I'm so mad, I'm going to run away from home. And some of us may have even packed a bag and made it about half a block down before we got scared and came back. But that was like the declaration. In the last 10 years of my work, I had barely heard a kid say or a parent report a kid saying, I'm going to run away from home. You know, now what kids sadly say is, I'm going to kill myself. I want to die. You know, which is, I think, just the worst thing a kid could declare. And I think often is not evidence of their true experience, but it's like this big declaration described I have this internal storm going on inside of me. I don't know what to call it. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to say the biggest, scariest thing I know to say. And so that's but one of many examples of why we want to labor in the space of helping kids develop an emotional vocabulary. The second milestone is the milestone of perspective. And it's learning to categorize all the events of life. You know, it's a little bit like the pain scale at the ER, where if you go into the ER, the doc's going to say like, On a one to 10 scale, where's your pain? And I need to be able to differentiate between two level pain and eight level pain in order for the doctor to treat my pain accurately. And so I want to understand that a one event in life is losing my car keys. A 10 event in life is losing a family member. And I don't want to respond to every event in life in the eight to 10 space if that's not where it fits. But again, seeing a lot of kids and adolescents slam up between the eight to 10 space and kind of living there. So perspective is vital. The third emotional milestone is empathy. And empathy is a well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships. So spouse to spouse, parent to child, coworker to coworker, 
you know, I think we've read so much about empathy in the last decade, probably to the point that we're all wondering, like, is it as important as, as they say? And I would argue it's every bit as important. It changes the game in relationships. And so developing that capacity to slide into another person's shoes, to be able to understand their experience, vital to healthy relationships. And then the fourth milestone is the milestone of resourcefulness. And that is being able to take the emotion to something constructive, the what to do part. And I would argue, I think that's the least developed of the emotional muscles as I see kids and adolescents in my practice of any. And so, you know, if I were going to give the cliff notes version of all four of those, like, what are they about? It's about helping kids understand what do I feel and what to do with it, which sounds very simple, but honestly, according to the current stats right now, we're not doing that. We're not equipping kids in those ways. We're not moving kids toward these milestones. And I think it's why a lot of the really scary statistics that exist out there, both for kids, adolescents, and adults are what they are and why this message feels more important than ever. It fascinates me to think I did the research for this book with my colleagues, Melissa and Sissy, you know, five years ago and how important it felt then having no idea where we were headed in our world and how unbelievably important it feels now. So I, I would argue rather than saying this book feels as important, it feels more important in some ways, I think. And we had no way of knowing what was coming in our world. So thank you for letting me talk about the four of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. I know that's been very helpful with our, uh, with our three kids. I want to go back a little bit. Obviously you mentioned the pandemic and I'm curious if you could just dive in a little more to what you've seen, you know, what, how you've seen the pandemic impacting kids, teenagers, uh, emotionally, socially, you know, so what are some of the observations you have? And then I guess a follow-up question, where do we go from here to help them? Great question. And I would say, you know, it's interesting as I think about probably the two things we see the most in our practice, we see a range of things, but the two we see the most hands down are anxiety and depression. In fact, anxiety is now considered to be a childhood epidemic in our country. We have numbers so high. And the stats would tell us that girls are twice as likely to struggle. But interestingly enough, boys are more likely to be taken in for help. And when we come to the class, we can even talk a little bit about the why of that. But its presentation tends to be different in, in terms of girls and boys and how it shows up and is easy to miss um, unless we really know what we're looking for. But those realities, in fact, you probably remember on the front side of the pandemic or before the pandemic, you know, those charts and graphs would show up in articles and news stories where we were seeing the steady increase with anxiety and depression in the pediatric population. And then when the pandemic hit, it went like this, it just skyrocketed. And you know, we were all searching to try and understand why, why is it getting worse at this point? And there were a lot of explanations for the why. One obvious, you know, being that, you know, I think about adolescence, you know, there's never a point in development when an individual would crave social connection as much. I mean, we all crave it. We all need it. We all value it in different stages of development, but in that one in particular. So when the stay-at-home orders were in place and Adolescents had no way of connecting in person. And the only way they could connect was through technology. The only way kids and adolescents could learn was through technology. Virtual learning was the only option during the stay-at-home orders on the front side. And so we have plenty of data already on hand. We'll have so much more 10 years from now of 
you know, how none of us, not just kids and teenagers, none of us benefit from being locked in a room, sitting and staring at a screen for long periods of time. And yet it was exactly what was happening, you know, for adults who are trying to do their job, for kids who are trying to do school, for adolescents who are trying to connect. And so it was both this necessity and the worst thing that could have been happening in some ways. And so I was not at all surprised to see skyrocketing rates of that happening with the lack of social connection and too much time spent on screens. And so there were some interesting stats that came out, you know, kind of mid to three quarters of the way through the pandemic. I'd love to share two with you. Um, by September 2020, 84% of 11 to 17 year olds scored for moderate to severe anxiety, wow. while 90% scored for moderate to severe depression. Wow. 90%. Yeah. More than half of 11 to 17 year olds reported having thoughts of suicide or self-harm more than half or nearly every day of the previous two weeks. That was in September, 2020. Think about where we were at that point in the journey. And I even think about, I've talked with a lot of kids, you know, as we jumped into a brand new year here in January and thinking back to where we were last year at this time. And do you remember like how we were all just counting down and craving this new year and believing we're going to be on the other side of this? We had no way of knowing, you know, at that point, we hadn't even said the words Delta, yep. certainly didn't know Omicron. And so we had no way of knowing we would still be so in this at this moment. And we'd have these rise and peaks with these variants. And so we were all believing at that point we'd be on the other side of it or at least moving well to the other side of it, having no idea. We still had so much time to walk this out. So, you know, I think who knows what the new stats are going to look like the next time we grab hold of some updated information on where kids are. But all of that in summary, simply to say everything I said a few minutes ago, like we can't be leaning in far enough. We can't be intentional enough about equipping the kids and teenagers we love with these important coping strategies to figure out what they feel and what to do with it. And I would also only add, I'd end with this to your great question. We can't be modeling enough of that in front of them. We talk in the introduction of Are My Kids on Track about how we can only take the kids we love as far as we've gone ourselves. We can only offer what we have. And that's true for us emotionally. That's true for us relationally. That's true for us spiritually. Like I can only give what I have. And so you know, our challenge to parents on the front side of this book is if you see evidence as you're reading through these milestones of where you haven't developed enough in these spaces, that's the place to start. And chances are really great. We say hopefully to free parents up that you're going to find at least some evidence with one of the milestones, if not a handful, where I've got a little more work to do so that I can be modeling everything I want to be modeling. Because we believe strongly the research supports this, that kids learn more from observation than information. They learn way more from watching us and observing us than hearing from us. So that's really where they're going to make the best connections around what it looks like to name what I feel and figure out what to do with it in healthy, constructive ways. That's so good. Uh, in our student ministry, we tell our leaders, there's two options. You know, you can tell a student, there's the mountain, go take it. Or you can say to a student, hey, I'm going to take this mountain, follow me. And uh, that one, the second one is works much better than, yes. than just telling them to take the mountain, whatever the mountain is, forgiveness, kindness, whatever the mountain is. So we've talked a lot about emotions. And so I'd love for you to give parents some easy ways or, or best ways to help their kids kind of develop their emotional muscles. So you have a couple of thoughts for parents on how they can help their child if they feel like their child's lacking in that area? I do. And, you know, 
one of the things I hope parents who come to this conference are going to walk away with, as I mentioned, is easy ways to do this within the daily rhythms of what they're already doing. So a great example would be every week, sometimes every night, depending on how many extracurricular activities kids have, but families are sitting around a table sharing a meal. We're doing that all the time. When you're doing that, when you're talking about your day, think about how common it is that, and I love this, that families are like, how was your day? We're checking in with each other. When you do that, watch for where you could just fold in more emotional vocabulary as you are talking about your experience. So rather than saying my day was fine, we're going to laugh together. I'll preview for you. We're going to laugh together about a feelings chart that we created and fine is nowhere on there. Fine is an acronym for feelings in need of expression. And so don't say fine, you know, just say, you know what? I felt sad today. I think I said something that hurt a friend and I didn't intend to. I felt embarrassed today. I had to give a presentation to the board of directors and I didn't feel as prepared as I did. Like knowing that again, that modeling, that good modeling is where kids are making the best connections and overhearing those things. Even when, for those of you who have preteens and teens, it looks like they're not paying attention, don't care about our day, aren't really leaning into our experience, that it's landing on them. When they hear the grown-ups, they love and trust the most in this world talking in those ways. So something as simple as that. Again, you could be doing that tonight. And that's not saying every sentence has to include emotional vocabulary, but it's saying layer some of that in. I would challenge parents too, when you're, those of you who have little kids, when you're reading books with them, watch for where it shows up in the books you're already reading. Hit pause, close the book, you know, just say, okay, I remember the first time I read Charlotte's Web with one of my kids, and I'd read that book as a kid. I knew that story. I had clearly forgotten that story because I was sobbing uncontrollably during parts of that book. And I remember my daughter looking over at me because I just had these huge tears rolling down. And I, you know, was thinking, like, what is Wilbur feeling right now? Like, just close the book. What's he feeling? What do you think he's about to do with that sadness? So with the books you're reading, when you're watching movies with teenagers, you know, whether it's hit pause say, hey, let's talk a little bit about how did that land on you? What was that like? What did you feel? Or when the movie's over? And so I just, my, my three kids are college age. I just did that 48 hours ago, right? Before one of my kids left to go back to college, we were watching this great movie together. And I mean, it was deep and rich and layered. And we finished, we sat on the couch for 20 minutes and had a conversation about both of how we experienced the film, what we felt, where we found ourselves in the story. So Again, those are things that we're already doing, eating meals together, reading books together, watching movies together. Look for where that can happen in the everyday. We don't need to be picking up 25 more props or you don't need to go out and listen to 50 more podcasts or read 100 more books to develop the skills to do this. Do it in the everyday of what you're already doing. And that's that's what I vow. And I know I speak on behalf of my colleague, Sissy, too. When we come in April, like, we're going to arm you with as many practical ways along those lines so that we can just do it in the everyday, what we're already doing. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I love that. The more practical, the better. Sometimes parenting feels uh, <clears throat> so nebulous. So it's great to have on the practical advice. So appreciate your time. Uh, last thought before we let you go, or last question, I guess. It, any other advice that you've been sharing with parents lately or anything else that's on your heart that you know you would want to share with a parent that I haven't asked you? You know, I would say this. I talked a lot about talking out of your experience and, you know, using emotional vocabulary and articulating what's going on. I would also challenge parents, talk about 
what's working for you right now. Like as we talk about coping skills, and we'll dive deeper into that in the class, but talk about what's benefiting you too. I think kids need to hear more evidence of that. You know, something as simple as I was sitting around the table a couple of weeks ago with my kids and said, you know, I didn't walk as much before the pandemic. And, you know, when it, about everything was closed, if we want <laughs> any form of movement of our exercise, that's about all that existed for a period of time. And so I just, I started walking. I mean, I was clocking in 10, 20, 30, 40 miles some weeks simply because it was how I was staying sane in the midst of that and just getting outside and getting some fresh air and working through stress. And I would challenge parents, whatever it is that you're doing, some yoga on your laptop in the den or long walks or petting the dog or, you know, the things that you are finding that are working for you. I just think kids are desperate. Adolescents are desperate to hear again, the grownups they trust talk about, I loved your analogy. You know, it's like, okay, how did you get up the mountain? What helped you when you felt like I just kind of want to lay down? I can't get to the other side. Like, what are the things you're doing that were useful? Who are the people? What are the relationships? Like, I, I love when parents talk about that with kids too. Like, let me tell you the three friends who are kind of saving my life right now. Yeah. The three people I go to when I feel like I'm at a really low point. So talk out of all those places. Um, I just don't think we do enough of that. I'll sometimes even quiz kids in my office. I'll say like, you know, tell me who you would say your mom's three closest friends are. Who are the three people your dad goes to, you know, and, and honestly, I want to see evidence that kids can name at least a couple. And I'm concerned when they can't put their finger on it, when they don't see enough evidence of where their parents have those connections and healthy relationships. I love, honestly, this may feel a little strange for listeners hearing, but I love when kids talk about their parents going to counseling, like, Hey, my mom and dad go to meet with somebody like they've been doing it for a long time, or they have check-in points or sat with a teenage boy the other day and he was like my dad sees his counselor once a month he said it's like a well visit he doesn't just go when he's struggling I thought oh my goodness can you imagine if every teenage boy heard his dad talking about things like that that's not saying you need to do that but it is saying are you talking about how often you sit with your pastor have lunch with a close and trusted friend so again just knowing all that's landing on our kids that would be my challenge to parents yeah I love that well, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I started seeing a counselor and at first it was really weird. It was, it was like, do I, do I say anything like, is, <laughs> and, but now, you know, it's not a secret by any means, but the more I thought about it, I'm like, okay, I'm glad that I'm modeling for my kids reaching out, you know, for someone to walk with you, you know? And so that's so good. I'm so glad you are too. I'll be honest with you. We have a lot of kids in our offices who, particularly when they sense conflict in their parents' marriage will ask us as therapists, we'll say like, will you tell my mom and dad to meet with somebody? Like, I think my parents need to go to counseling. And I think what a great thing that you feel the courage to say that because you're observing something that feels off inside of you and you believe that could be helpful. So I challenge parents in that way, like be open about it, talk about it, obviously in age appropriate ways, but I think kids feel a sense of peace and, and certainty in that like, good, there's another person in the game with my mom and dad. My mom and dad have a coach, somebody who's helping them out, figure out the game of marriage. So I love that you did that. I'd encourage any parent listening to do that too. And talk again, talk about the benefits, talk about all the different ways you are navigating and managing stress at this juncture in a global pandemic that none of us ever imagined we'd still be in. Yeah. Yeah. So good.
Well, thank you so much, uh, David. Really appreciate you uh, giving us your time and so excited for April. Uh, so again, parents, April 8th and 9th, uh, make sure that you keep that night and then that next morning open. Uh, more details to come. I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but you will find details on our website starting in mid-February. Registration begins February 19th, all at northbrookchurch.org. And uh, so encourage you. Also, tell a friend, tell another parent that you can benefit from this conference. This isn't just for Northbrook parents. Anyone in the area is welcome. So if you know someone that would benefit from this, please spread the word for us and uh, share with your friends this podcast as well. We would love that. So thanks again, David. Appreciate you uh, joining us today. And I can't wait to see you uh, in April. So God bless you as you continue to minister to uh, families. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple months. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for listening to this Northbrook Next Gen podcast. Be sure to check the show notes for relevant info and check back for more podcasts coming soon.